0: We're quite a modern church, aren't we? You know, how many of you have seen The Lion King? Ha- have you seen The Lion King? Have you been to the show? Anybody, just wave your hand if you've seen the show. You know what it is. You remember the, the, the time when um, you know, Simba's announced and so on. You know, we live in a world that if they made that again today, if they made it again today, you know, it would go something like this. Time to check my social media Who yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, loves, loves me, me online. online? I said it's time to check my social media Who yeah, yeah. Mm, loves, loves me online. online? That's how they do it today thanks, guys. I'm so embarrassing for you guys, aren't I? <laughs> but you know, we live in a world, don't we, where who loves you online? Who loves you online? Who likes you online? It's kind of a benchmark for many people. And I'm just wondering today, more than ever before, do we need to be grounded in the Word of God? Do we need to be People who are open to teaching, to, you know, the day before you pass away, you will still need teaching from the Word. It would be a real tragedy if you said, Well, I know enough now. Because God has got depths and depths and depths and directions for you. And actually, you need to become a teacher. So, it isn't all input, input, there's output. Now, some people have the gift of teaching and the ministry of teaching, but some of us, all of us, will have a sense in which we need to teach others. If you've got a Bible with you, can you just be nimble and go to James chapter 3, verse 1, and then we're going to go uh, into Hebrews chapter 5. James 3, verse 1 says this Not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Some of your translations say double judgment. But then again, Hebrews chapter five puts it like this. In Hebrews five, verse 12, it reads like this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still being an infant not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. I want you to notice that word mature. We're going to define it later on. For the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Our foundation scripture for this whole series is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 that says, So Christ himself, these are the gifts of Christ to the church. Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Teachers have to build you up until we reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and become, here's that word again, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The, the fivefold ministry, and, and actually I'm going to talk about teachers today, but listen, listen below what I'm saying to how the Word of God is received in your life. What your attitude is to receiving truth. What your attitude is to journeying on, are you stuck? Are you paralyzed? Are you, worst case, fossilized? If you look at the systems of the natural body, you will see that the systems work together. Oh, hang on. There we go. There we go you'll see that the systems work together. You've got an immune system, a cardiovascular system. You've got a musculoskeletal system. You, you, you've got nervous system, hormonal system, digestive system, reproductive system. All these systems work together in your body to make it healthy. They, they kind of don't compete with each other. What they do is all feed in. To make you a healthy person and who you can be. It's the same with the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry is not there to compete with each other, but all to feed into the body to make it as healthy as possible. The five-fold ministry brings balance in your faith to us as a whole and to us as an individual. You cannot get all that you need to get from one person or one uh, kind of experience. Now, there's a balance to this in that you cannot go looking around all over the world and say, oh, I need a bit of that from that ministry, that and that ministry, and that that ministry. The five-fold ministry is given to the local church, to the body, and you can have A a tremendous, balanced experience here. Now, of course, we have input from outside, and that's totally appropriate. So don't go looking for everything, but understand that the five-fold ministry is there to keep you in balance. In fact, every life needs the effect of this. You, as a person, will need the effect of an apostolic ministry because there'll be times when you'll need breakthrough. There'll be times when you'll need authority. There'll be times when you'll need government. We all need revelation. There are times when you'll need a prophet or a prophetic ministry. There are times that we all need to outreach as uh, an evangelist does. There's times when we all need to care and to be cared for. And there'll be pastors and then God will raise up shepherds amongst us. We all, however, need to get deeper into the word so that we can teach it and here's this word: to be taught. A dangerous person is someone who cannot be taught in any stage of their life. Artie Kendall actually contributed to a book called "The Fivefold Ministry," and he, he says this. The teacher is last on the list and the most non-controversial, but possibly the most neglected and needed out of the five. The Greek word for teacher, he comments, is didaskos. Sorry, got it wrong. And it's found in the New Testament 58 times, and it was the common way that the disciples addressed Jesus. In fact, if you've got the King James Version When it says uh, the disciples called Jesus master, and we're not going to have the argument about whether the King James Version is the most inspired or not and all of that stuff, but actually it's didaskalos that's translated there, and actually it should read teacher. And so in the gospel, 45 times the disciples refer to Christ as their teacher, And R.T. Kendall concludes that we need lots of good experience in the church today, but we also need good theology. What teachers, what it is that teachers do and the teaching ministry does, and get, get the subtext of this that I'm talking about the effect of the Word of God in your life. What a teacher does is present the kingdom and an alternative view of how life works. Did you hear Jesus often said, uh, and he mentioned to people, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'd often draw a picture on earth, but then he would point to a heavenly truth. And what teachers do is to present an alternative view of how life works. We often think in the West. That life works that like a sales graph. It's supposed to just go up and up and up. Jesus didn't portray life like that. In fact, I'm going to take you to a place that shows you something different. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by an author that introduces you to a teacher. And a teacher in the Hebrew is called a kolet, And a qualet is somebody who gathers people around truth. And here's one thing about a real teaching ministry, it brings people together. It gathers people and says, this is something good for us. And that's the whole book of Ecclesiastes does that. You see, teachers give you a different perspective, a kingdom culture perspective, but they also gather you around truth so that people can be together. Thirdly, though, what a teacher does is he grounds us and puts our feet in the ground of the Word of God. Jesus put it like this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's built his house where? On a rock. You know this. Crowds were amazed about Jesus' teaching because he taught with all authority. Let me take you back to the book of Ecclesiastes, because the book of Ecclesiastes is going to introduce you to this concept about life that the Jews called hevel. And uh, you've read it often. uh, In your Bible, uh, it says that life is meaningless or a chasing after the wind. Vanity, vanity, chasing after the wind. And the translation of this word meaningless or futile is this word, hevel. A Jewish person would say, ah, life is hevel, and I won't do the accent and do any of that. But the teacher of Ecclesiastes is going to challenge us to live our lives in the midst of hevel. And actually, the word hevel means mist. It means vapor. It means that it looks solid... But when you reach out sometimes, it, it's, uh, it can slip through your fingers. And, and really what the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to say, that the nature of life is changeable, that actually that it's not as solid as sometimes our breakthrough theology says, that it's got a changeable nature. And what teachers do is help us live in the changeable nature of life. That when different things happen to us, we can find something in the word of God that will help us in that. Hevel, life is fleeting like a vapor. In fact, James in the New Testament says this, doesn't he? In James chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Your life is is a mist. Uh, Don't say you'll go there or there. Understand that it's all called according to God's will. Life is like a mist. And it's not that it's insecure. But what Ecclesiastes is saying is you can find God's will and his truth in the midst of the mist of life. That it's changeable. That actually it can be fleeting. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes comes to this conclusion. If you come to the very last verse, in chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Now that all has been heard, hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. Understand that what teachers do, understand what the word of God does, is help you in this sense of life that can change at a moment. Or sometimes it it looks as if it's one thing, but it changes and it's something else. But the word of God remains true forever. Come with me to the book of Psalms, to the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 105. And you'll know this verse, and you've read it so many times. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God has a lamp effect and a light effect. The lamp is, is, a, is a lamp to your feet that God's word can give you a, a, a truth for your immediate situation, for that next step in your life. It's like a, a pool of light for where you are right now. You might be really hurting today and you might have a difficult situation in your life and God wants to speak a lamp word so that you can take, you can't see in the distance. Your situation is that, that it's dark. And, and you're, you can take the next step because you've got that lamp word, that, that immediate word. And then he might give you another lamp word. But then God says, your word is like a light to my feet, or the psalmist says. And that means that he can shine his light into the direction of your future. Can I... Can I challenge you, coach you, encourage you about your use of the word of God? There'll be some people here today where you use the word as a lamp all the time. You're looking for a promise every day, and you might even have a promise box and you're looking for that word every day. You might have a fridge magnet and you look at it and you say, Oh, that's the word for today, and you take in one little step, and then but actually, God might want to say to you, will you base your life on my word so that I can then begin to direct your life into the future, so that I can begin to shape your life into the long distance? You know, I once met a man uh, or had a friend, and he didn't take a promotion because of the way that God's word had shaped his life. That he actually said, you know what, because of my ministry, because of uh, the things that I want to do in my local church, I am not going to take this promotion because God's word has shaped me and the direction of my life is not going where that would take me. And you've got to understand that the word of God wants to shape your long distance. But you know, there are some people, they're all into the shaping of God's word, and, and they, their life is on track and everything, but God can't get through to them now. You know, God's trying to drop a word, He's trying to drop a lamp word into their minds and into their hearts, and trying to correct an attitude or change a little uh, situation that they are immediately facing. It's not about their direction, it's about their immediacy, but God just can't get through. And I want to encourage you that you keep your heart open. And you see, this is one of the things that teachers do. This light and lamp ministry of the Word of God, teachers help us to receive. And I wonder if you are open to receiving. It's a really important feature of discipleship. The receiving of the Word, receiving of the Spirit. The teacher helps us to receive. First of all, what teachers do is they challenge our filters. We all filter things through our background, through our family, through our national culture. I mean, uh, it was so great at Songs of Praise. You know, English people are so sad, aren't they? Don't you think? We are. We're, We're a little bit sad. Everybody else has got a national dress. The Scottish have got a kilt. The Welsh have got the leek and the top hat. The, the English, we've got a football top. <laughs> you know, we, we are pretty sad like that. But we all have filters from our culture. We all think. My, my friend, he, he, he had a, a, his dog in the back of a car, and it was a, not really a hot day like we had this week. But he, he was... Um, leading, uh, wanting just to nip into a shop and didn't want to, all the fuss of taking the dog with him and so on. So he had, it on, had the Labrador, it was, on the back seat. And uh, he, so he wound the windows down a little bit and he backed away from the car and he was saying, now stay, now stay, don't, don't come, don't come out. Now stay, now stay. And the driver drove, parked in the parking place next to him and said, why don't you just put the handbrake on? Because he thought he was talking to the car, not the dog. See, there's something he didn't see. He hadn't seen everything about it. And we sometimes have our filters that, that block something that we can see or can't see. We have filters in our culture. And sometimes teachers come and say, have you seen this? some of our assumptions we need to challenge. You know, in the, in the New Testament, there was a group of Christians in, the, in Galatia, the Galatians, and they had a filter. They received Jesus, but in the background was a rigid commitment to the law. In fact, Paul had to write to them because they were filtering out grace. They'd received grace, they'd received Jesus, they'd understood the cross, but because they hadn't given this filter, this this cultural and religious and belief system over to the Lord to to allow that to be shaped, because it was good at one point, Paul had to challenge them. Listen to what he says. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? And are you being so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh. And what he was saying was, you have allowed this filter to block out everything that God wants for you. I wonder what my filters are. I wonder what I'm filtering out. I wonder if the character and the spiritual side of the meat of the word is being filtered out. You see, that's really where we meet God is in this sense of, God, would you bring your spirit and can you mold my character? Because that's what God's trying to do, not just our, unf- our filtered opinions. You know, before I was a grandfather, I did a ministry in a culture where they have arranged marriages. And at that time, the the Christians there gave me tremendous arguments, good arguments, as to why we should arrange marriages. They looked at us in the West and said, "You, you depend on this romance, and our divorce rate is less than yours and everything. And at that time, I was quite strong in the sense that I was saying to them, oh, no, you can't prove that from the Bible. You know, since becoming a granddad, I think that's the right way to go. I want to (laughs) choose. My daughters weren't that old at that moment. I was thinking, man, I want to choose. Now, you know, rather than leaving it up to romance. But we all have these filters. I grew up in a holiness church. You know what a holiness church meant in those days? You didn't wear any makeup, you didn't go to the cinema, you didn't wear any jewelry nothing that was what it meant we were teetotal and instead of holiness we kind of got into a lot of rules and regulations and the issue wasn't about makeup tell you the truth some of the men needed to wear makeup they were ugly in my church (laughs) but you know all of that stuff actually what God is after is after a heart of modesty That's what he's after. He's after modesty. He's not particularly after a style of dressing or so on. And it's actually modesty of the heart that we need to get to. You see, what a teacher will do is challenge some of our filters from our background. Not just the way that we meet, but how's our character going. So, teachers... Challenge our filters. Can I just say to you, there's only one filter that we really need. And the one filter is the word of God rightly divided, as the King James Version says. It says this, do your best, Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself as God as one approved as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but correctly handles the word of truth. And I guess we need to emphasize correctly handling the word of truth. Because how many of you know you can use the Bible to justify most things? The second thing that a teacher does, as well as challenge our filters, that a teacher helps us to build and strengthen our foundations. We live in a world right now that's a redefinition world. They want to redefine everything. They want to be able to say that that which we have depended on isn't what it is anymore. Isaiah puts it this way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, and to put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Does that not describe our modern media and our world today? When they're trying to assign whether or not somebody is one gender or another gender or what have you. What we need to do today is to make sure we have solid foundations in the Word of God. Man, I thought that would have got a bigger amen, but it hasn't even got one. Jesus said, and as I said earlier, therefore anyone who hears, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's building his house on a rock. Now, I want you to know that we need to be strong in the Word of God and in the truths of the Word of God, but we need to make sure we do not get into fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is a rigid way of seeing things, so much so that we lose the grace and the truth that God really wants us to share. You can have strong opinions, but people have got to be able to know that you love them as well hey, I'm going to say that again. You have very strong opinions. Go deep with your opinions. Go strong into the Word of God, but make sure people know that you love them at the same time you have strong opinions. Because a fundamental person will just say, no, this is it. No, I'm not hearing anything else. I'm not even going to talk with you, debate with you. I know there's a time for when debating's over, but you need to journey with people and not make sure that you turn them away. But you see, what teachers do, and what I would say we need to do here at KT, is we need to create not just tradition, but what I call living tradition. That things that are are well known and well versed have new life to them. Of course, we will always pray, We will always be in the Word of God. But you know what? I don't want dead prayers, do you? I don't want dead Word of God sharing. I don't want things that are are just a dead tradition. That's why Jesus turned to the Pharisees and said that. You know, it's quite, uh, well, it's not hard being the minister of KT, but it's quite unusual because everything Kathy and I want to bring to you, you've already done it. I can be excited to say, we're going to have songs of praise. And somebody said, Oh, yeah, we did that in 2000. If you need to leave and go on the road, that must be the Holy Spirit. I just pray that it's the Damascus road that you go on. You know, in KT, what we need to do is create living tradition. And in a church with our history, in a church with our longevity, there is nothing new under the sun. So, you know, we can say, well, oh, i bring this gospel artist. And you can say, oh, we had a gospel artist before. Or we can say, hey, we're going to book out the Albert Hall and we're going to pack it and we're going to make a witness to the nation. Oh, yeah, we did that before. <laughs> it was, oh, we're going to hit the streets and we're going to witness to everybody. Oh, yeah, we used to do that. We're going to build an intercession team and we're going to just really make it so the intercession team brings down heaven. Oh, yeah, we used to have an intercession team. You see, when you've done it before, which you have, you can talk about tradition, but I believe it's time for living tradition. You see, I love Kathy's lasagna. I love it. Kathy is the best lasagna cooker, better than any from Italy. I'm sorry if you're from Italy. But Kathy's lasagna is the best lasagna in the history of the world. Okay? I love it. But when she makes it, I want fresh lasagna. I don't want last year's lasagna. Bread is a very old recipe. It goes back thousands of years. There's a great tradition of baking bread. I want fresh bread. I want fresh things. So please, please, if we bring things to you, you might just very quickly reference it to the past, but my question to you is, Is it living? Is it alive? Because we want fresh bread straight out of the oven. Oh, let me not talk about food for much. We want fresh bread, fresh word, fresh spirit, new move, God alive in this place. Amen? So it's great to celebrate what we've done in the past, but what teachers do is say, this is fresh for this generation so people now know how to practice. We need to teach now the new intercessors how to intercede. We now have lots of work to pass on because one generation will tell another generation and bring them up. Amen, church? Teachers not only build strong foundations and challenge our filters, but teachers also envision our future. You see, all teaching should be moving us towards growth. It shouldn't be holding us down. People who teach in the church should be building us to move forward, not just knowledge for its own sake. Let me take you back to Hebrews uh, chapter five. I'm going to come into land in a little bit, but this is what, the writer of the Hebrews says, which may have been Paul, but it may have been somebody else. But I'm going to leave that for a Bible study because I'm getting Pastor Scott really worried on the front row. I'm not going to mention the word Priscilla in any way. Anyway, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, mature, by constant use of train themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teaching. Let's move beyond about Christ. Be taken forward to maturity, not laying hands again, on the foundation of repentance that lead from the acts of death and of faith in God and instructions about cleansing lights and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. All these things are elementary teaching. Now, put your hand on your heart because I want to read the last sentence. I want you to pray it over your life. And the writer to the Hebrew says, and God permitting, we will do so. And God permitting, let's grow. And God permitting, let's grow in the word. You see, teachers are there, and the word of God is there to equip us in maturity. Equipping and maturity is the goal of all teaching. And God permitting, we will do so. Equipping involves attitude and ability to serve. You know, it's mainly people's attitude that blocks them out from serving rather than their abilities. You have to equip attitudes. But here's the definition of maturity. Maturity is to live wisely to your stage as much as possible. Let me say that again. A mature person lives wisely up to their stage as much as possible. So you can have a month-old Christian who's more mature because they're living up to what they know. That was what the Ephesians said. He said, live up to what you know. See, we're not into who knows the most. We're into who lives up to what they know the most. That's maturity. So if you know much, let's mind the gap. If you know much, mind the gap of what you know and what you live. You see, the goal of all our teaching is Christ and flourishing. Our only goal for you is that you become like Christ. We don't teach just to examine theories or even to life coach. And we know that some of you are very helpful life coaches. But we teach to move every one of us towards Christ and to become like him. That is our goal. That's mine and Kathy's goal to you. We want to move you towards Christ and you want to move each other towards Christ. It's the eternal goal. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of God's son. It's the eternal goal. When he had you in mind before he even created us all, he said, I want them to be like my son. He doesn't want you to just be a a superhuman, he wants you to be like his son because being like Jesus is the best thing you could ever be. Christ is our ongoing goal for our life journey. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back if they will. Christ is the, Paul said, I'm struggling like a nurse. My, my dear children for whom I am again in pains of child's birth until Christ has formed you. Christ is the goal. You're going to need Jesus' words in order to be like Christ. I I want to encourage you to read the parables, read the Sermon on the Mount, read John 15. Just read his words and let's become like Christ. You're going to need the words of Jesus. If you're going to be a real disciple, you're going to need his words. But you know, you're going to have to also have Jesus' works. And he taught people, he laid hands on people, he prayed for people, he was kind to people. He had his works. If you're going to be a disciple, you're going to have to follow in Jesus' ways. He spent time with people. There were times when he spoke to a crowd, and then there were times when he went out of his way to meet one person at a well. You're going to have to look at his ways. You see, you need his word, you'll need his works. And you'll need his ways in order to be like him. You're going to have to study him. He's going to have to become the great love of your life. Because as you love him, his love will flow into your life. And you'll become even more than what you ever could become. But you know, as well as his works and as well as his ways and as well as his words, you're going to have to enter into his wounds. Because I don't, would not be a good teacher today if I was asking you to be like Christ and not saying to you, there will be some suffering on the way. There are going to be some difficult times. And you're going to have to hold his hand when the valley is dark. But he'll walk you through that. You see, Christ is the great goal of our lives. In fact... Kathy and I, when we want to lead, our goal is to say, how can this church be a Jesus church? See, it's the great goal of the mission that you have. Jesus said, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and teaching them to obey and observe everything I've commanded you. You see, you've got to get into who Jesus is so that you can share who he is. But you don't do it alone because he said, I'm with you, even to the ends of the world. Can I say to you, at some level, it may not be the ministry, it may not be everything, but at some level, you are a teacher. You're a letter that everybody's reading, but you're a teacher. What are you teaching? Are you teaching a a flippant attitude to church or to God or to other people and just say, well, I can take it or leave it? What are you teaching? Or are you discipling others by teaching them? And you say, I don't know enough. Share what you know, and God will give you people.